Good morning, church. You know, I think I could have just kept singing Give Me Jesus for the next hour. It was, uh, it is just one of the most true statements ever written. When it all comes down to the needs that we really have, it's just Jesus. Phil Robertson, the uh, Duck Dynasty dad and uh, hillbilly philosopher, is getting interviewed a lot lately. I don't know if you know who Phil Robertson is, but if you look it up, his picture will be on the internet, I guarantee you. Phil Robertson's been uh, asked about uh, lots of different things. I uh, was asked about the, uh, some of the shootings that have gone on, and um, he said the problem with these things is no Jesus. And they asked him about uh, some of the things that are going on on college campuses, the disruptions and the, the destruction that's been happening. And Phil Robertson said, no Jesus. And these are several interviews where they keep asking Robertson about, you'd think eventually they'd figure out what the answer is going to be. They asked him about the political turmoil and the fight between the Republicans and the Democrats and the this and the that. And he said, the problem with our politicians is no Jesus. And man, I mean, does it get any more clear than that? Give me Jesus. When I come to die, is there anything else I'm going to be worried about? America is among the uh, the groups surveyed regularly for a happiness slash satisfaction quotient. So think happiness and satisfaction. Kind of they're kind of being blended into uh, to one thing. <clears throat> and in 2017, we had a one third raise in happiness slash satisfaction over 2016. Woo! We're going in a good direction. Now, only about a third of us are saying we're happy and or satisfied, but that third is up from a little less than a third last year, so good deal. Uh, millennials, you're leading the pack. 79% of millennials say they're happy. They further surveyed them. They were worried about their finances and worried about their futures, but they were happy. The other group of people that keeps turning up happiest, the other two groups, are the older people. It seems that once you get past your 50s, you get happier. I don't know if that's because your children move out, or college is done, or exactly what it is, but post-50s, you get happier. So it seems like on both ends, the young and the older are happy. It's the folks in the middle who are kind of grumpy. So just remember that when you're driving down the freeway in the morning someday. The poor folks are unhappy. I mean, the global survey, they do the global survey differently. So they ask people from these various countries around the world to imagine a ladder. So I'd like you to take the survey with me. Imagine a ladder. The ladder has ten rungs. Okay? If you're standing on the ground, you haven't yet entered the ladder, you're at zero. Okay? Rung one is one. Is there any need for clarification? Okay, rung 10 is 10. Okay, so I want you to think in your head. You don't have to say this out loud. If you're talking about your happiness and satisfaction with your life as it is right now, not what you're not what's coming in 10 years or 
six years or what was going on five years ago, but right now, what rung would you be on? So just imagine yourself. You've, you've got to pick a rung. What rung would you be standing on? From zero, I am still on the ground. I'm absolutely miserable and they should just bury me now. To 10, I'm ready for translation. I am so happy I'm going to start floating any minute. Okay? So what rung do you imagine yourself on? So just imagine yourself. Get your number in your head. The average in the United States is rung 6.8. We couldn't quite get all the way down to that seventh rung. Maybe by next year, if the millennials keep pushing us, we'll get to seven. But that's actually more than I thought. Given that only a third of Americans actually have confessed to feeling happy and satisfied, that as a country, we feel um, just across the majority satisfied. We're almost coming, we're coming up on that three-fourths of the satisfaction ladder covered. So now you can compare yourself in your head. You can tell your spouse, your friend, the person sitting next to you or behind you where your number is. So go ahead and tell them if you're, if you're a bold person. Go ahead. Tell a stranger if you're really sanguine. Some of you aren't telling anybody. I think you're on the lower rungs. <clears throat> so... What I want to talk about today is glorifying God, but I want to talk to it, I want to speak to it through the lens and through a process of just how satisfied you are. Glorifying God, just how satisfied you are. I heard a preacher say recently that um, if you are unsatisfied, it's going to be difficult for you to to praise God, and it's been sticking in my craw. Usually when something is sticking in my craw, you're going to hear about it because I'm going to preach about it. It just kind of stuck with me. And I was thinking, really? That's what makes the difference? I'm satisfied? I'm going to praise God. And then I started thinking about it biblically. Started looking at the biblical references and started to think about it in terms of what the Bible says about these things. And I think this preacher was right. And I'm going to take you a little bit of that journey today. I've, I, there are 54 texts that I found in the scriptures on being satisfied. We're not covering them all this morning, but not even the majority. So I wanted to start out with this statement. Whatever you do, glorify God. It's from 1 Corinthians. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I've clipped off the beginning of it because we get stuck on the beginning of it, particularly in the Adventist church. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, and we get stuck on the eat or drink part, just skip that. Go right to the whatsoever you do, do all, how much? All to the glory of God. So whatsoever you find yourself doing, that means mowing the lawn to the glory of God. Shining your shoes, or better yet, shining your spouse's shoes to the glory of God. Right? That means whatever you find yourself to doing, whatever you find yourself doing, do all to the glory of God. What your hand finds to do, Do it to the glory of God. Okay? Now, we've talked about this passage before, and I've I've confessed to you that the first time I started reading about the, the expectations that I was to glorify God, that it bothered me because it was just this weird kind of, is God that in need of my emotional support? You know what I mean? 
That was what sort of, sort of stuck with me. It's like, does, does God really need me to be constantly going around saying, you're awesome, God. You are awesome, God. God, just so you know, you are awesome. I know you're not thinking this. I know you're too humble to remind. But you are, does God really need that from me? Is God that insecure? And if he's not, then what in the world is this about? So let me, let me start where I think all things start in the scripture in Genesis chapter 3, with Genesis being called Genesis because it is the genesis of all things. It is the beginning of all things. And in Genesis chapter 3, we find the big problem on earth. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the core issue of all the issues on the earth. And it comes from this question that Satan asked Eve as she was hanging out at the devil's fruit stand. The serpent said to the woman, did God really, catch the words, did God really say to you, catch this? Do you catch the sort of incredulity in this? Do you catch the questioning in this? Did God really say to you, you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, is that what he said? You read the story, right? It's not what he said. He said you can eat from all the fruit of the garden except for this one tree. But Satan twists things, as he usually does when he's tempting you and he's tempting me, twists things just a little, takes things just off center. The, the bubble starts to slide off. And as that bubble slides off, he starts to bring a question to her mind. He says, is, is God really good? Can you really trust God? That's the question in Genesis chapter 3. That's really what's going on with this serpent's interaction with Eve. Can you really trust God? And that is still the question. That is still what every human being has to decide somewhere between their birth and their death. Can I really trust God? Can I really trust God? When things are going well... Do I give credit to God? Do I give glory to God? Can I say it's really because of God? Do I really trust God when it's going well? When it's going badly, when the wheels have fallen off of my life and I have run this car into the ditch, can I really, at that moment, when things are going horribly, when I, when I really want to just blame God, can I really trust God? It's interesting how we resist giving credit to God when things are going well. But we don't really have too much trouble giving blame to God when things are going poorly. Right? Isn't that strange? Human, broken, big S on our chest, not for Superman, sin problem. Right? The initial question is not about your sin or mine. We have to get this cleared in Scripture That the big issue in Scripture is not your sin or mine. The big issue in Scripture is the character of God. The big issue in Scripture is can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? It weighs into this whole discussion we're about to have. The most important question on the earth is can God be trusted? In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, we come back to one of these glorify God passages. And this is an important passage. And it's not just important because Adventists fell upon it back in the 1800s. It's an important passage because it's one of the messages, one of the last messages being sent out to the earth. 
prophetically, it's describing something going on right at the end. It's describing the things that are happening at the end of Earth's history. You know, they just moved the, the clock, the, uh, the doomsday clock. The, the folks over in Europe decided it was time to change the clock, and they moved the clock another 22 seconds, or maybe it was 30 seconds. They moved it another, whatever, half a minute toward doomsday. Because of the nuclear proliferation going on in Korea and probably in Iran and the issues that are going on in the world and the conflicts that are around us and global warming. Boy, I want to say something about that. But I won't. They moved the clock a little further towards doomsday. Said we're almost there. We're now two minutes from midnight on doomsday. Okay? This passage is one of those last of the minutes of the earth's history passages. These, are, these three angels as they fly out are a depiction of the, this story being told at the end of time. Don't miss this. Get the third, ga- third great understanding of this. Look, the first angel says, there's still a chance for you. The gospel is still available to you. The second angel says, everything else is a mess. Babylon has fallen. It's twice fallen. All these other things that you're talking about, they're fake. They're not real. They're rocks and sticks. and you, There's no real God there. And the last angel comes along and he says, if you're still stuck on being stupid about this, you will be lost. That's That's the clearest picture I can give you of what those three angels have to say. The first one says the gospel is still available to you. You still have opportunity to be saved. I saw another angel flying in mid heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who lived on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And he said... Now, no, all of that was introductory. The message this angel proclaims, that he shouts out, fear God. Now, we've talked about this before, too. We've talked about this before, too. You really should substitute the word awe, but even if you don't, fear being the beginning of wisdom is true. You at least ought to have the the good sense to be afraid. It's something you learn in elementary school, right? Bully comes along, have the good sense not to spit on him. Right? Bully comes along, have the good sense to move out of the way and let him go. Clear a path for him. You had the good sense at least to know when you should double up your fist. Right? He's saying you're dealing with God at the most basic sense. At least have the good sense to be afraid. That's your, if that's where you're going to start, start there. At least start there. Okay? Fear God. Now, I think there's a whole lot more in there that's about being in awe of God, recognizing His creatorship, recognizing who He is. There's a whole lot more there. But the second half of the passage is the part I wanted to get to. The second statement he makes is about giving Him glory. Fear God and give glory to Him. And then there's a because. Because the hour of his judgment has come. And everybody reads that passage this way. Be afraid. Glorify God. Because he's going to judge you. Does that sound like good news to you? But this is the everlasting gospel. This is the gospel of the kingdom being preached to all the world. 
And he says, get an understanding of who you're dealing with. Realize who God is. Get an understanding of that relationship. You are the created. He is the creator. Establish an awe and an understanding there. By the way, as you learn to love God and you recognize his love, perfect love casts out fear. The maturing relationship is loss, is losing fear. And give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come. What is the most important question in the earth? Is God trustworthy? If the final revelation of God is the truest revelation of God, what is finally being decided? I think this passage needs to at least include God's final revelation that he need that you need not that you need not worry about trusting him is about to be exposed. You can trust him. You see in a very big way, way the whole world since Adam and Eve first decided to go in a wrong direction has been judging God. You want, want, want another indication? Do you remember what Adam and Eve do when confronted by God? When God comes to them in the garden, what are they doing? Why are they hiding? Because they're naked and afraid. To quote a television show. And... As God confronts them on what's going on, do you see where the blame ends up? Do you get where Adam says when it comes to him, you know, the, the, the woman, or the, when it comes to Adam and he says, what are you doing? It's the woman you gave me. I was doing fine here, just having a good time all by myself, and then you brought the girl. And everything went, went sideways after that. Your fault, God. Woman, what did you do? I was just standing there by the tree, hanging out. It was a beautiful, sunshiny day. I just was there, just enjoying the life and the day in the beautiful garden that you made. And then the serpent that you allowed to be in the garden... The serpent talked to me. And then he turns to the serpent and there's no passing the buck because the buck had to stop there. Do you see that this has always been a question about the character of God? So stick with that as we talk about this issue of glorifying God. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Now this is not a judgment God is losing but it is a question being answered about the character of God. Got it? I know we're into some deep theological waters here, but I just want you to make sure you get that much of it. Okay? There's, all, there's an answer being given to the question about the character of God. If you want to further, those of you who are, whose theological brains are, are, are just running like crazy, take your theological brain into the millennium and ask what the real question in the millennium is. I'm not going to do that today. We don't have time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether then you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Last thing that's, that, that's said, hey, look, fear God and give glory to Him. 
And Paul talking to the Corinthians says, whatever you do, and there's a whole argument going on about they can eat meat offered to idols or whether they can't and what's going on with this and what's going on with that. The whole argument going on, and Paul says, look, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Now, I think we could stop there, ask if that question is being fulfilled in our lives and spend a whole lot of our day thinking about that one thing. Am I doing what I do to the glory of God? And that's not just if I'm, if I'm standing up here preaching. That means if I'm at the gas station filling the tank, if I'm running behind the guy that can't figure out that the sign on the freeway actually means 65. I, what, whatever the problem is and whatever the circumstances are, am I doing what I'm doing to the glory of God? Whatever you do. Pretty big request. The believers are supposed to be pointing heavenward. Right? The believers are supposed to be pointing heavenward. That's, what, that's the call in our lives. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Now we're kind of, kind, of, kind of getting into the meat of this now. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. The Apostle Paul is talking to the Philippians. He's praying for them. He's in the midst of his descriptions of his prayers. He's in the midst of describing what he wants for them. And as Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 comes along, he said, For I want you to understand what really matters. So what does he want them to understand? What really matters? What kind of matters? No, what really matters? So that you may live pure and blameless lives. So I want you to understand what really matters so that your lives might be transformed by that information. Is that a reasonable picture of that? Okay. (coughs) The three of you and I agree. Until the day Christ returns. So how long is this going to go on? Your whole life or until Jesus comes, whichever happens first. All right? May, continuing on, verse 10, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. What is the fruit of salvation? When you, have, when you become saved, what's the fruit of that? Do you remember? The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, etc., etc. Right? May your life blossom with these transforming factors. May you live differently. I want you to understand what really matters. I want that to be transformative, and I want the fruit of the Spirit to be popping out on your life like blossoms on a cherry tree in the spring. You with me? All right. For this will bring much glory to God. So what brings much glory to God? Let's see. Let's see. Understand what really matters. Align your life with that. Being filled with the fruit of that life because that's what brings glory to God. So what is it that brings glory to God? Well, I understand what matters, what's important. I align my life with what matters, what's important. Now, if I'm talking about biblical things, right? I'm talking about biblical things. I'm talking about the spiritually important things in the world. Because what else really matters? What's the problem with our politicians? No Jesus. Right? What is the problem with our campuses? No Jesus. What is the problem with the church? No Jesus? What is the problem with the guy in my mirror? What is the problem with the guy at my job? What is the problem with the guy behind the steering wheel of my car? 
What's the problem with him? Her? No Jesus? See, the apostle is calling for the people who are following God to really understand what's important. Align their lives with those things and see the fruit of that change. If you aligned your life, if we aligned our life, our life with God, would it change anything in our life? I think it would. If we're disaligned and then we get aligned, something changes, right? And then once that alignment takes place, the fruit of that alignment becomes obvious to everyone who sees us. And that glorifies God. You see it? With me so far? Is it starting to scare you at all? I hope it's doing both. I hope it's a little scary and a little encouraging, both. The undeniable testimony that brings glory to God is a transformed life. Right? You know, that's why we parade the people who came from the gutter to the kingdom out in front of the rest of the world. Because of the, the really stark change that's taken place in their life. Right? This, this huge difference in what they were and who they are now. We say, see, this is what Jesus does. Wouldn't it be cool if every time we walked down the road, people looked at you and me and they said, see, that's what Jesus does. Look at that gal. Look at that guy. Like the fruit of the Spirit is popping out on them all over the place. No? Hmm. Do your work associates think that? Does, Does your employer think that? Do your employees think that? Does your family think that? At Thanksgiving dinner, do people walk in and go, I'm so glad to be at Uncle, Uncle Harry's and Aunt Grace's house because when you walk in there, it's like, that, it's like walking into the, the fragrance of the fruit of the Spirit. It's awesome. I wore a tie and a coat. I didn't go full suit today, but from the quiet in the place, maybe I should have. So let's talk about reorienting kinds of actions. So it's nice to say, this is what you should be doing, but can we talk about how we get there? Would it be nice to be able to actually talk about how this thing might take place in our lives? I don't like to talk about, you should be doing this, without talking about what processes the Bible lays out. Now we're going to go backwards here and revisit something we visited a, a, a couple weeks ago. But I, I, wanna, I want you to get it. This worries me when I go backwards in time a little bit that you and I will not be able to get back there because of the 72-hour factor. You know, once the preacher finishes, it takes 72 hours for it to flush out of your brain and start fresh. So this, this is a backward two weeks, so I'm going to try to help us get together and move forward with it. Here we are. I'm going to text in pieces. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Does anybody remember talking about that? Okay, good. There are five. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. So you remember this passage now. We're kind of working our way through Philippians again. Now we're in chapter 4. Then, what's this then mean? This is a pivotal thing that's about to happen, right? 
You've been, you've, you've gone to God. You've prayed about the things you were anxious about. You've told him about your needs. You've begun thanking him for everything. And then, this pivotal then, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. So far, so good? Okay, good, good. His peace then will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When I come to die, when I come to die, what do you want then? It's possible to have it now and not have to wait till then. Do you know when we come to that moment when the end of our life is approaching, what really matters comes dramatically into focus? When we have been told the clock is taking its last few ticks for you, Walt, all of a sudden, the things that matter the most come into focus. And we just drop so many things we were pursuing the day before. Maybe the question we should be asking ourselves is, am I doing the things, am I engaged with the things, am I touched by the things that matter most? What matters most? So here's the passage. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds and you will, you will live in Christ Jesus. You living in Christ Jesus experience. So what is the process being unpacked? It goes back to anxiety and fear, and it ends in peace. I have anxiety and fear. God, what do I do about it? I have anxiety and fear, and it's destructive to my relationship with you. I have anxiety and fear, and I'm having trouble trusting you, God. I have anxiety and fear, and I'm not satisfied with this life, God. I'm having anxiety and fear, and I'm just not happy where I am, God. What should I do about it? Bring me your need. And then thank me for what I've already done. We do not do enough thanks. We do not do enough praise. We do not take the time to list often enough for ourselves the blessings of God. We tend to focus on the negative. It's part of that big S on our chest. We tend to focus on the negative And we have to be taught to focus on the positive. We have to be taught to be thankful. We have to practice thankfulness. What has God done for me? So can you take just just 30 seconds, or less than that, you shouldn't need that long, 10 seconds, and think of some things God has blessed you with. Was it hard? So it's not a horribly difficult practice, is it? 
but it's such an important one. When you establish that you can place your needs in God's hands, recite that he's been faithful to you so far. You can actually let them go. That's what allows you to release your grip. You give it to him, and then when reciting those thankful things, your fingers release, and you get a different experience in your life. Peaceful, more satisfying life. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul. Here's what I think happens I can't get no satisfaction. Here's what I think happens when you start finding some. You start practicing more thankfulness. Lay your needs at Jesus' feet. Begin to practice thankfulness. Lay your needs at Jesus' feet. Release them by saying, He's been faithful to me in the past. Look at all the ways he has blessed me. Look at all the ways he has taken care of me. Practicing thanks begins to release those things that I placed at his feet. And I begin to say, okay, God, I'm going to stop worrying them. I'm going to give them to you. I'm okay. You've always blessed me before and you're going to bless me now. I'm good with it. More thanks leads to more satisfaction. Yeah? Make sense? More satisfaction leads to growing faith. Right? Two things happened in this, pre- this passage. I laid down the thing I was worried about, and I said, look at all the ways God has blessed me, and I can say, okay, God, I'm moving away from my worry about you taking care of this, because you're awesome. You've been faithful all along, and I trust you with that that's stressing me. I trust you with what I'm worried about. I trust you what's dissatisfactory in my life, and I'm giving it over to you thankfully for all you have done for me my faith begins to grow when my faith begins to grow I begin to trust that's what faith is when I begin to trust God the things that matter start to align in my life things start to line up because I say okay you want me to do that I'm in you want me to do that I'm in you want me to do that I'm in the Bible says I'm supposed to do that I'm in and we start aligning ourselves with the actual call of God on our life we start actually finding alignment with the things of God in our personal life We've gone from fearful and distrusting of God by giving over our worries to him, being thankful for those things, beginning to recite the things that he has been faithful in before, starting to trust him, starting to find alignment in our spiritual life. And when our spiritual life starts to align with God, the transformed life automatically brings glory to God. And the watching universe looks down and says, Hey, Have you seen my servant, Ron? Look at him. Have you seen my servant, Jan? Look at her. She was afraid. He was afraid. He decided to trust me with that. She began to recite all the ways in which I've been, I've been watching over her life so, so far. And her faith began to grow. And she began to surrender her own decisions to me. And as her life began to align up, look at it. And the whole watching universe says, God's right. Hey, look. 
He knows what he's doing. All that stuff he's written down actually works. Crazy as it may sound, having the things God described for you as a part of your life actually makes life better. And the universe says, oh, yeah, God can be trusted. And when the final clock ticks and the people who are redeemed stand on the sea of glass and they sing the song that only the redeemed can sing. You know what the song is? You can trust God no matter what. You can trust God no matter what. You might be scared, but you can trust God no matter what. No matter what. And if it's a 1990s contemporary, you do no matter what for 14 more stanzas. But the point is simply this. I've been on the other side, distrustful, faithless, and unsatisfied. And I decided to take the risk that God might actually know what he's talking about. And I found out I could trust him. That's my story. To the glory of God, whatsoever I find to do. Let's pray. Father God, we choose today to give you what's on our mind that we're worried about. Some of us came here worrying about money. We've got trouble. We've got more month than we have paycheck. And we need your help. And we're laying it on your desk. Some of us came here stressed about our job. We've had hard decisions to make. We've made those decisions, and they're not all going as we'd hoped, and some people are mad at us, and some people are glad with us. And and we're going to put that on your desk, and we're going to trust you. Some of us came here because we've been told by the doctor that we ourselves or someone we love is very sick. And we're worried about how you're going to handle that. We're worried that we might lose them. But we're putting them in your hands. And we're choosing to trust you. Some of us came today because we're worried about a family member or family members who, as far as we can tell, are going in the wrong direction and they're going to be lost in the end. And we choose to put them in your hands. And we choose to to trust you. Some of us have come here this morning doubting whether the practice of our faith is really having any transformative impact. And we place our doubts on your desk. And together we choose to remember the blessings that have come to us in the past. choose to trust you and align ourselves with you with your vision of who we are and who we should become your vision of our life and what would be best for us for our eternal salvation and we pray that out of a heart satisfied with our relationship 
satisfied with the gifts you've given us, satisfied with the life that we live, we might rest in your arms and glorify you. In Jesus' name.
loving Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Pastor Waltz of the world who can explain that to us. We May our lives be more trustful of you and be a representative of you and your character to those about us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes part one of our service. Part two starts in a few minutes with some Bible study classes for adults in this room primarily and for the young people mainly down this hall with the youngest ones in the very back. We have some snacks ready for you in the back, so we 